Hey guys, this is Doug in from fellowshipofthemartyrs.com. Um, I've got a video on the website called Faith or Love, Which Saves You? Or something like that. And it's been about a year, I think, uh, since I made that video. And I haven't gone back and rewatched it lately. Um, and a lot of the videos... I don't remember what I said exactly because um, I don't very 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 few of them do I read something or plan ahead the Lord just says do a video about that and I turn on the camera and I'm like okay Lord let it out and he says what he wants to say and um, sometimes he'll have me tell stories that are very familiar and I of course I remember that story I was there and whatever and Sometimes he gives revelation to me as I'm talking and making the video, and I'm like, wow, that's cool. I had no idea. <laughs> and, uh, and I get to learn stuff by just opening my mouth and, and trying to let Jesus out. And uh, <sighs> But I, I made a video about faith or love, which heals you, which, which saves you. And that has continued to chew on me um, in the background for the last year and I feel like uh, I, I don't I don't know that this video right now can is anything definitive um, in, in that discussion but I want to bring it up again because a lot of people aren't gonna go back 250 300 videos um, and and maybe we'll miss that one I've got a lot of videos that have 100 200 views that I think are critically important. I mean, just amazingly vital for people to understand and to hear. Um, and and so a lot of times somebody will call me for counseling, and I'm like, okay, here's the prescription. Go watch that one, that one, that one. It'll save us a lot of time on the phone um, because it's just the stuff I'm going to tell you anyway to help you get over whatever. Just go watch the video and then call me back. Um, because it's getting to where my phone's just ringing all the time, and so uh, it saves a lot of time. If you know when people are like, "Oh yeah, I heard that story," <laughs> okay, skip that one. Oh yeah, I heard that story. Watch that video. Okay, skip that one, and uh, we can just uh, you know get right to it. Anyway, let me let me let me just be transparent about what my problem is here. On the one hand, we got folks that say you are saved when you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. And that that's that until then you're not saved. Okay, I'm not I'm not feeling that one. For one thing, I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, there is evidence besides speaking in tongues, and even the people that say it has to be speaking in tongues don't define tongues the same way I do. I think I know people that groan. I, I, when I first got the gift of tongues, it was screaming and groaning and travail. And a lot of charismatics didn't think that counted, didn't think that was real, thought I was faking it or whatever else. And as clear as anything, the Lord said, this is what I have for you, and this is a stronger prayer language than whatever they got. Um, because this is fear of the Lord and repentance, and theirs is you know, joy or praise or whatever, all of which is important. But this one wrecks stuff. And uh, I know people, they don't speak in tongues. They just cry uncontrollably. And, and a whimper and sigh and hyperventilate and, and just it's, it just wrecks stuff. 
So I would rather see people crying under the power of the Spirit than speaking in tongues and praising and worshiping. Um, I think revival is more likely to come from travail than from worship music and singing and dancing and harp and bowl and stuff like that. Biblically speaking, Joel chapter 2 is clear. When the locusts come, you weep and repent and mourn. You don't sing and dance. Because the locusts came because of your idolatry. And uh, the elders need to weep before the temple, not sing and dance. Um, anyway, so... There's people that think you pray the little sinner's prayer, repeat after me, every head bowed, every eye closed, just raise your hand like that, and bam, you're saved. Now, that ain't right. Now, could somebody mean it enough and the Lord meet them where they are and, and then get saved that way? Okay, sure. But the vast majority of the time, by anybody's count, including Billy Graham, it doesn't that's people don't get saved that way it is a work of God on their heart and and it's not as simple as just say this and you're going to heaven now go sin as much as you want you're good and by the way pastor if you're preaching that it's a lie and you're going to be held accountable for it and you've got a lot of bad fruit all around you of people sinning like crazy thinking they're safe and they won't listen to anybody else convince them that they need holiness because you convinced them that they can do whatever they wanted and you need to repent and you need to get in front of them hit your face cry like a baby and tell them you're sorry and that they really do need to change their lives and uh, surrender all I know it'll hurt but he'll get you through it God bless you um, there's those that think that works are going to save them. We're going to give to charity. We're going to take care of the orphans. And, you know, after all, faith without works is dead. So we need to have faith. And we need to have works. But mostly we need to have faith. And yet I know a lot of people that have a lot of faith. And they don't have love. And the word says... If you don't love the brethren, then the love of God is not in you. If you don't love God, then you're not one of His. The people that quote 1 Corinthians 13 as proof that tongues and prophecy and word of knowledge are done away, because that which is perfect has come, miss that the greatest of these is not faith, but love. So there abideth these three, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Even hope is greater than faith on that list. But the greatest is love. And there's verse after verse after verse that doesn't talk about the faith of God, it talks about the love of God. And that the first two commandments are not have faith in the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and have faith in your neighbor as yourself. It's love. When John 17, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. The very last prayer he prays is for us. That we would be one as he and the Father are one. Because then the world will know that God sent Jesus. 
Well, that's not about faith. It's not faith that makes us one. It's love that makes us one. He's talking about a love for one another that shocks the world. Not a unity of the faith in the sense that we're all in lockstep believing exactly the same. And I look at revival history and I see groups like the Moravians, the Waldensians, the Anabaptists, even, even Luther, where they say Geneva, Switzerland was as close to heaven as you could get under Luther. And yet he was a vicious man, a vicious hater, baptizing babies, crucifying anybody, or not crucifying, literally crucifying, but burning at the stake, anyone that, that questioned infant baptism or that, or that questioned the way that he was describing the Trinity. You can't look at Luther and look at his life and say that he was abundantly flowing out with love for all the rest of the body on every side. And you can't look at his theology and say that he was pure. And yet there was some real revival. There's groups all through history that you would look at and say, well, Wesley was wrong about some stuff. Finney was wrong about some stuff. The Moravians were wrong about some stuff. Technically, clearly, and yet God moved. And there was an amazing revival, and the Moravians had a prayer meeting that lasted for a hundred years. We're the, we're the first major missionary movement, and, and uh, some say, Well, how is it that God showed up and moved when their doctrine wasn't perfect? Because they were one. Because they were known by their love. Because they hung together. Because they overcame their differences. And they loved. And they didn't have to be right about everything. Look at the disciples at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit shows up. Bam! There's a church of Jerusalem. There's no wind-up, there's no forming committee, there's no corporation, there's no nothing. The church is simply those who were called out that live in Jerusalem. There was 120 in the upper room, bam, there's 3,000 more. Next day, bam, there's 5,000 more. And the church of Jerusalem grew like crazy and crazy, bigger and bigger because more were added to their number every day. And yet they were completely immature. Babies, brand new, trying to figure it out, bumping around in the dark. What do we do about this? I don't know. What do we do about that? We can't wait tables. Find 12 guys that are full of the Holy Spirit and have them distribute to the widows. You know? They're learning on the fly. They're not a complete, perfect, everything worked out, flawless body. But they love. And they're sharing with each as they have a need. And the Holy Spirit is so present. And this has been something that I think is revolutionary. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon saying, never mind your faith, how's your love? Never mind if you're perfect. Never mind if you're theologically totally accurate on everything. Never mind if you're in agreement. Do you love?
And, and, and if the love of God is not in you, you're not one of His, even if you have faith in the right things, you might just get pruned off the vine. Are they teaching that in Sunday school? Are they teaching that in seminary? Are there any classes on love in seminary? Or faith like a child that says you will not inherit the kingdom of God unless you come to him like a little child. And a kid, man, a kid. We got we got kids here. A couple of the boys. Man, one day they're best buddies. The next day he hit me with a truck. He said I was fat. I never want to talk to him again. The next day they're best buddies. You know? And I'm watching going, man... I want to be like that. It's unavoidable that somebody's going to hit you with a truck. It's unavoidable that somebody's going to call you fat or get on your nerves or something. But faith like a child, to, to come to him as little children, it, it, part of that is, nah, I forgot. That was yesterday. He's still my best friend. You know, let's go play. Let's go build a fire pit in the backyard and burn something. <laughs> which we've had to put a stop to several times. Why can't the church, why can't the body of Christ have that? Aren't we supposed to have that? Do we need to force agreement? Let's say, okay, let's say that a city church was actually... Uh, uh, um, some charismatic leader and charismatic in the sense of personality not spiritual gifts some forceful um, energetic exciting leader managed to get everyone in the town to agree with him on everything and everybody that, that says they love Jesus agreed with him on every point all the way down the line. Bible interpretation, hermeneutics, exegesis, apologetics, eschatology, whatever. All the big words. Everybody's in total agreement. Would you then have a real fire of God revival where repentance was preached and everybody and, and there was a real lampstand and God's glory was present? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure, A, that it's even possible to get everybody to agree with him, or that that's the sign of revival. Real restoration of the bride doesn't seem to come from people preaching theology in terms of the details and the doctrines and the dogmas. Real revival tends to come from people preaching repentance. Get right. Uh, pay your debt to the people that you've hurt. Um, Go repent to the person you lied to. You know, holiness and repentance are not the same as intellectual Aristotelian theology training at all. At all. The way that we're doing so much is very Greek, very intellectual, instead of coming to him like little children and and, and just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry I hit you with my truck. Please be my friend. You know, okay, and you get over it. You move on. And 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 I don't know who can even hear me, because the Hank Hanegraaffs and John MacArthur's and 
R.C. Sproles and all these other guys of the world are, are, are lifted up because of their big brain. Not because of their love. I, 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 uh, shoot. I don't know how he is at home. I don't know how he is with his grandkids. But I just don't want to go on a picnic with John MacArthur. It, it, there's just there's just nothing in me that says he's all warm and fuzzy and, and he's going to be fun to hang out with and, and, and the light of Christ is just shining out from him and the, the, the gentle, sweet, calm spirit of love is just you know going to be great to have around. I, mean, I think he's pretty cranky. And, and shoot, I'm willing to repent and say I'm wrong if it turns out that, you know, <laughs> that he wants to go on a picnic with me. And, and But, man, I think he's just got a giant chip on his shoulder. And, and I'm not sure he loves. And it looks like in Matthew 25, when he separates the sheep and the goats... It's about love. It's not about faith. He doesn't say, you had a proper understanding of the Trinity. Welcome, come into my rest. Um, he doesn't say, you bought me a new chandelier for the sanctuary. He doesn't say, you wrote so many great books on, on the proper exegesis of, of Galatians. No, it's, it, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you comforted me. Well done. Well, that's about love. Do you understand the problem I'm having here? Do a word search on faith and a word search on love. Look at the verses on love. And look and, look and see if some of them don't look terminal. I mean terminal. If you do not have love, then the love of God is not in you and you know not God. I mean, there's bunches. Um, and when he talks about bearing good fruit, I don't get the sense at all that bearing good fruit is winning lots of arguments about theology or, or proving that, that you somehow had a greater grasp on the bigness of God than somebody else. I think bearing good fruit... Is, is using the gifts that he gave you for the benefit of the people around you motivated by love and obedience to him but you can obey and still not have love you can be sincere and be sincerely wrong you can have faith that Jesus was real and still go straight to hell there will be some that say Lord, Lord we, we healed in your name we cast out demons in your name nope didn't know you why? Because the love of God's not in you. You did it for you. You didn't do it out of the love of the person that's hurting. You didn't sacrificially do it because of them. You did it to get a to get a platform. You did it to make money. You did it to get a new car. You did it so you could be famous. But you didn't do it because you had my heart for the poor and the hurting and the broken and the lost. And you weren't one of the poor and the hurting and the broken and the meek. Because they're the ones that are going to inherit the earth. And you should have loved them. And blessed them and strengthened them and held up their arms and given them your cloak. So, man, if I'm right, then it's not faith that saves you. 
It's love. How does that change everything? How does that change evangelism? How does that change our relationships to each other within the body? How does that change church as we know it? Do we need to listen to more guys teach us, and, and women, stand up there and train our minds? Or do we need the people to go out front that know how to love to show us an example of how to do that? How to give sacrificially, how to pour themselves out to the last drop? Was it theology? Was it dogma? Was it that, that drove Moses to go up Sinai and say to the Lord, blot me out of the book of life, but send them into the promised land. For the, for the love of you, so that the nations don't mock you and say you were unable to bring your people into the promised land. For your reputation, out of love for who you are and your holiness, out of love for them, even though they're stupid, stiff-necked sinners, blot me out of the book of life. It says, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for a friend. So was it Jesus' faith? that caused him to go to the cross or his love it doesn't say greater faith hath no man or greater obedience to God or greater works it says greater love hath no man that he lay down his life for a friend and, and nothing personal to firefighters and policemen and servicemen that, that give their lives on behalf of others and to save them but that's a flash that's, a, that's a, a blade of grass that withers. That's a flower that fades. Moses laid down his eternity. Paul said that I would be cursed from Christ if the Jews would hear the gospel. Okay, cursed from Christ is forever. I think greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his eternity, his eternal life, his best thing for his fellow man. And I make no apologies that we're trying to raise up a generation of people that will pray the prayer of Moses, pray the prayer of Paul, and mean it. Out of love. For God, because He's worthy of our obedience, worthy of our love, worthy to be glorified whether we get a reward or not. It's humanism to, to try to avoid punishment. It's humanism to seek a, a, a reward. Obeying God so that you can sit on a cloud playing a harp forever is not that different than obeying Allah and flying a plane into a building so you can get 69 virgins. It's still humanism. If you obey God because He's God, no matter what, whether you get a reward or not, that's something different. That's Christianity. That's what Jesus did. To give without thought of receiving out of the pure love for God and for fellow man. That is unrecognizable as a man. That is unlike the flesh of this world. Then you've done something. So, you got faith that Jesus really did walk the earth, that he was a real human being, that he was a man. Great. There's all kinds of folks believe that he actually existed. So you believe he really was the Son of God. Great. So do demons. You believe he was born of a virgin, raised on the third day, sit to the right, sits at the right hand of God. Great. So do demons. But is he your Lord? And the difference between you and the demons 
is your love, not your belief that he existed, not the belief that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Demons know that. The difference is the love. That's what saves. And the love of God is what he puts in your heart to draw you to him. He does something to us to make us love him. And as we, that love creates a curiosity in us, and we go and we read the Bible, and we talk to people, and, and, and we know that he's out there and that he's good. And then we have faith. At some point, we're, we're, we, we understand and we know and we're educated about it, what it is, and we say, that's it. That's the thing I've been loving that I didn't know that I was loving, but that's it. I mean, I didn't know what it was that I loved, but, but, but now that I see it, it's Jesus. But it's the love that draws us to the faith, not the other way around. And, and you could say that there are people out there somewhere that they came to Jesus because we went and we told them about Jesus and they said, that's it. Look at the love and the sacrifice that he made for me. I want that. I want him. But I'm still going to say, as they're hearing the story of Jesus, and as they're hearing of his sacrifice, and as they're seeing that love in his heart for us, they get a love for him and then believe in faith and receive. But I think the Bible's real clear. Faith, hope, and love abideth, abideth these three. The greatest is love. I don't know how you get around that and then somehow say faith is greater than love. I think it's love that saves. And I think without love, you're a clanging gong and a tinkling cymbal. You are useless. And though you stand up front and preach really loud, and though you go on Sunday all the time, and though you tithe regularly, if you have not love, no matter how much faith you have, you're useless. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know how much this would change. All of the teaching in seminaries and seminars and Sunday schools all over. But I'm pretty sure love's the thing. And if we had more love, we would argue a lot less. And we would overlook a lot more because love covers a multitude of sins. What does that mean? Does that mean... God overlooks our sins if we have love? Maybe. Does that mean we overlook the sins of the people around us if we love them? Maybe. Because I can just see in revival history lots of groups where the Holy Spirit showed up in real power and did really cool stuff. And you could look at their theology and say they were absolutely wrong. In some cases, they were absolutely heretical absolutely missing the point on fundamentals. And yet the Holy Spirit showed up. Why? Because of their love. 
and I knew, I know man, Hank Hanegraaff, and who knows who is going to have a heyday with this. If if I were a big enough blip on the radar for them to bother with, <laughs> because their whole world, their their whole self sufficiency, their whole career is based on braininess, not on faith like a child. See, and I got to go with, he knows my heart. He knows I don't want to sin. I, I don't want to grieve him. I don't want to run from him. And I'm totally dependent on him. And, and some of the greatest, shiniest people I know don't know the Bible very well. But Jesus showed up and said, you're mine. You're going to serve me from now on. And they said, yes, Lord. And they meant it all the way. All the way. And they can't quote you chapter and verse. But they know him and they know his heart. And they are like those ignorant fishermen that the Sadducees and the Pharisees couldn't argue with because it was clear they'd been with Jesus. Nobody would be that wise, make that much sense, be that hard to argue with, except they've been with Jesus. And I'd love to get on stage and, and, and have a debate with Hank Hanegraaff and John MacArthur and whatever, but it's likely to really frustrate them. Because they're going to quote chapter and verse because of all the stuff they got memorized in their head, and I'm just going to say, you're really mean. I heard God and he said you're mean. And and they're just going to so not like that. <laughs> and I don't care. You know, it, to me it's real simple. Did you hear God this morning tell you to wear that tie? Did do you ask the Lord about everything? Did did he tell you to say that just now because that's mean. Well, no God doesn't speak anymore. Okay, well then who called you into the ministry? You know, because I know he called me. I heard him real loud. It, it ended life as I know it and, and started something altogether new. And, you know, how are you okay with denominationalism? How are you okay with all of the things that are slicing the body of Christ up into pieces, hacking them into bits? You don't seem to have the mind of Christ. You don't seem to have the heart of Christ for the poor. You, you, you don't. You're not interested in the humble things. You're dismissing everybody that doesn't seem to have the scale and scope and size and respect of degrees and ties and whatever that you want. I, I mean, you don't understand that the most powerful person in this room might just be grandma in the wheelchair. But you don't think in those terms. You think, who's got the biggest brain here? Who's got the most training, the most academics, the most degrees behind their name here? Because that's the, that's the smartest person, the person closest to God. And I'm telling you, that's entirely Greek. That is entirely Greek. Aristotelian, let's, let's think our way to God. And man, it don't work that way. It's not working. It never did work. And it's not going to start working. And Jesus is clear. Come to me like a little child. The Holy Spirit will explain it to you. Because you're not going to understand it any other way and if you don't hear the Holy Spirit and you don't hear God and, and the love of God is not flowing out of you for his body for the restoration of his bride for revival and repentance 
you're not crying and anguishing and, and groaning and, and I'm going to have a hard time believing that you're one of his. And you may squeak through somehow as one passing through the fire. I don't know. I'm not going to say you're not, but man, if the love of God is not in you, and maybe you got love for your own, and love for your children, but even the, even the heathen have that, you may have love for everybody in the building that agrees with you, but not the ones you kicked out because they questioned you even though they show the fruits of the Spirit and they believe and they love God and, you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to be transparent. This is what some of what I'm going through here, okay? Because if it's love that saves you, how does that change everything? How would that affect church as we know it? If you just simply say, you're not saved unless the love of God is flowing out of you for all the things that he loves. Including the rest of the brethren in town, no matter what building they are in on Sunday. I think I'm right. You know, I mean, the more I just talk it out, uh, I'm, I think I'm going to stick with this. And uh, flesh it out some more. And, and I don't know who all is going to get irritated by it. But I, I'm pretty sure. That if you show favoritism, James 2 says, a rich man comes in, put him up front, poor man comes in, you put him in the back, you don't know God. Well, that's not about faith. That's about love. That's about not being a respecter of persons. That's about not showing favoritism. And, and you may have perfect faith. You may have perfect dogma and doctrine. You may be Pharisee of Pharisees, Baptist of Bath Baptist, Lutheran of Lutherans. But you do that, you don't know God. Well, you know, shoot. What? Uh, that's all it took? Yeah. Because you're a clanging gong and a tinkling cymbal. And missed the whole point. That Jesus went to the cross out of love. And we should go to our cross out of love for him and for those around us. We should work for him out of love for him and for those around us it's not about faith it's not about intellectualism it's about love and to whatever degree it is about faith it's about faith like a child not faith like a belligerent teenager who is sure that he knows everything and dad's an idiot Anyway, that's kind of the way I see it at the moment, and I'm 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 okay with somebody proving me wrong, but you're gonna to need to come with me to me with scripture and show me how what we're doing is right, and uh, that having a new denomination every other day is evidence of our love. But I guess until somebody proves me wrong, I'm going to stick with this. And love as good as I can. And even love the people that disagree with me on stuff. And love the people that I even think might be technically wrong. Because it says to love the brethren, and it says to love your enemies. One or the other ought to cover everybody. 
So, I guess I'm just going to have to love. How about you? You love me? Because some of you put some videos up that, yeah, I'm not sure that's love. I'm pretty sure it's not love. In which case, the love of God's not in you. In which case, I wouldn't want to be you if I was standing in front of a bus or something. Hmm. So you might want to repent. Anyway, <clears throat> just a thought. Thanks for listening. Lots more at fellowshipofthemartyrs.com. And I don't even know how much I repeated the video that I made a year ago, so it may be identical. <laughs> but if you get a chance, there's another video on uh, love or faith, which one saves you, uh, on here somewhere. Um, and, of course, there's lots more at fellowshipofthemartyrs.com.